What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 304 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow uh, along on our social pages on Facebook and uh, Twitter, slash X, you know, whatever they're calling Twitter these days. (laughs) Um, So good to be back with you folks this week on this uh, Monday, February 12th. Uh, would like to say thank you again to Tyler Hayden, my older brother, for uh, coming on Guest Friday last week. It was a good conversation that uh, we had prior to uh, the Celtics trade deadline. So um, you can go listen to that if you would like. Posted that on Friday. It is a little bit outdated as we had spoken before the trade deadline. So obviously we didn't get to share thoughts about the two newest Celtics. We'll have those thoughts uh, on today's program. Um but yeah, you can go listen to last week's episode. Uh, this week, got a returning guest coming back to uh, talk some revolution. You know, if you're a uh, avid listener of the program, you probably will recognize this guest, who is usually our uh, resident like uh, soccer guy. So, looking forward to that later this week. Uh, get in depth on the revolution, and yeah, believe it or not, they uh, start playing competitive games next week. So, uh, looking forward to that. So. We are going to start with the Celtics, and I think you know probably makes sense for us to uh, you know sprinkle in some of the takes uh, from the trade deadline. I think both moves the Celtics made, um, and I think we'll probably start with both of these. Uh, both moves that the Celtics made, I think, very clearly are moves that are trying to fortify the defense, um, and I think very clearly the trade for Xavier Tillman, you know, kind of, you know, reiterated that thought where it was like, okay, you know, the Celtics, I think, are pretty good in terms of their depth and in terms of, you know, their regular rotation. So any move that they made likely wasn't going to, you know, greatly affect their uh, rotation. But I think to make the trade for Tillman especially, um, I think was a really smart move because... You know, he's a guy that can really fill in anywhere. Um, I would say a little bit undersized, but I think brings great energy, plays really hard defense, and I think gives the Celtics another body that they can put on, you know, a Bam Adebayo or a Joel Embiid or someone like that that, you know, gives them kind of a versatile enough defender. So um, I really like the move. I think it's a really smart move. Um, You know, it's funny, but... Before the NBA draft a couple of years ago, when Tillman got drafted, I actually identified him um, as a target for the Celtics. So uh, kind of neat to see him come to the green. So he, um, obviously his fourth year in the league, uh, played in Memphis for his first four years. He's played 34 games this year, uh, 13 starts. So, you know, establishes that is a guy that could start, you know, I think maybe on nights where the Celtics maybe are missing a couple bigs. You know, I think that recently they've had some games where uh, Porzingis has been out and then Horford's been out. Um, There actually was a game not too long ago that I think Porzingis, Cornette, and Horford all were out, you know, and the Celtics had to play, had to play small. And so I think, like, that's a, a situation where having someone like Tillman makes a lot of sense. Um, 
but I think really good defender, just a really solid, good defender, you know, a little, like a little bit athletic and athletic enough to be able to, to, to finish layups um, and things like that. So I think has some offensive skill, but I think majority of his game is, you know, defense and rebounding. And I think, you know, it's funny when uh, Tyler and I talked last week about, you know, targets for the Celtics at the trade deadline. You know, we talked about an Andre Drummond type, which I think is Avery Tillman is kind of a type like Andre Drummond, but gives you a little bit more in terms of, you know, athletically and, you know, age, because, you know, he's 25 and Andre Drummond is, I think, in his mid-30s. I have to double-check that, but I think that it's a smart move defensively because gives you another guy who's versatile defensively, and I also think, like, you know, we, again, talked about it a little bit on the podcast that, you know, someone like Keita, who's played good minutes, you know, is kind of more of a project player, and I think someone like Tillman is a guy that could play and could really give you solid, you know, playoff minutes if you really needed it. You know, someone that could come in off the bench, you know, kind of like behind Horford, behind Cornette. You know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, just how deep the Celtics bench goes in the postseason. You know, I expect that the top six is going to stay this top six, but, you know, does Joe Missoula play someone like Tillman? Does he get a lot of minutes in the postseason? You know, probably is dependent on matchups. You know, if the Celtics do match up with the Heat or the Sixers or the Cavaliers, you know, any of those teams that have good, that have bigs, you know, can the Celtics throw in Tillman as kind of another matchup player, um, you know, on a Bam Adebayo? You know, it's ironic that they played the Heat yesterday. Tillman obviously wasn't available, but I think, like, if they played the Heat, Tillman would be someone I'd be very comfortable with coming in off the bench to give you some minutes at that position. So um, I really liked that move. Um, I think the Jaden Springer move is a kind of a low-key interesting move um, because I think, again, gives you someone that's a really good, versatile defender and someone that I think, if you've seen him play for the Sixers this year, you've noticed that he's really a hard-nosed defender and a guy that really can kind of get in, get in the grill of some really talented players, you know, and make life difficult for them. And I think that that's part of the reason why the Celtics made this move. You know, I'd seen something on Twitter during the trade deadline of someone making the, you know, and maybe there was an actual direct correlation that the Celtics were paying attention to what the Bucks were doing and kind of wanted to make moves depending on what they did. So I kind of thought that theory was interesting that, you know, maybe the Celtics go get Jaden Springer because he's had some matchups against Lillard and has done really well. So I kind of was curious about that. And I think you look at the Bucks making the trade for Patrick Beverly, another kind of really good defensive guard that can be somewhat of a of an of an of, of an irritant, uh, so to speak. So you know, I thought it was a solid move, and I think you know, for the Celtics moving out a couple guys that were kind of, you know, end-of-the-bench players. It's tough because I think that, you know, bringing in a player like Lamar Stevens, you know, you were hoping that he was going to carve out a little bit of a role and, you know, be a part of, of your, of your hopefully, you know, championship-contending team. But 
you know, I think the move for Tillman makes a lot of sense. You know, Celtics also sent out uh, Delano Banton to the uh, Trailblazers, I believe, for a draft pick. So um, he's no longer with the team. But I think really like both additions. Um, and I also think that with the trades, the Celtics actually still have a roster spot open. So they still could um, get an addition at the... Um, still could get an addition from the buyout market and bring in a player, you know, if they felt it was necessary. Um, and I think the only stipulation with that is if the Celtics were able to acquire a buyout player, it couldn't be a player that made more than like 12.4 million on their previous deal. So for example, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, I think was basically claimed off the buyout market by the Lakers he, I think, was making more than $12.4 million, so the Celtics wouldn't have been able to sign a player like that. And so the Celtics, for example, you know, let's say a player gets bought out and they were making $8 million on their contract, the Celtics would be able to sign that player. So, you know, I don't know if the Celtics are going to make an addition. You know, it kind of be interesting to see what players become available, but I think, like, the Celtics are kind of a team that they're pretty set with what they have um, and a buyout player is not going to, you know, drastically affect, you know, the, the, the roster the rest of the season. Um, so I don't expect that they're going to do anything like major, you know, if they do anything, maybe it's a wing player, but I'm kind of curious about how they, you know, get Tillman and Springer into the lineup, you know, once they're healthy enough to play. And I think, both of these moves, I think, are done to help fortify the defense, but I think also, just in case there happens to be an injury at some point, you know, there's a, there, there's some depth there, and I think, you know, knock on wood, the Celtics have been pretty, pretty good in terms of staying healthy this year, you know, guys have missed games here and there, you know, Porzingis has missed a little bit of time, but I think, for the most part, they've been pretty lucky, but I think, making the move for Tillman especially, I think, made a lot of sense. I think especially if there are nights where the Celtics have two or more bigs that, you know, miss the game for whatever reason. Maybe it's a back-to-back or Horford, maybe Porzingis, they want to sit him down for a game. The Celtics now know, okay, we have a guy like Tillman that could slide in, but also like, you know, not even pick up minutes, but someone that could start too. You know, he's a guy that started 13 games this year. So really a fan of both of the moves. You know, haven't seen uh, either guy in action yet. Hopefully, that's hopefully that's soon. I think that they're both um, both rehabbing or coming back from injuries. So, uh, hopefully, the Celtics can see them soon. Um, but the Celtics getting to kind of the play on the court over the last week. I think there have been some interesting games. You know, I think the Celtics. Um, Anytime, I don't know what it is, but I just feel like anytime the Celtics play the Hawks, um, it's always just kind of an interesting game. Um, and this was a game that the Celtics like, really had to work hard to be able to put away. I would also say the same thing for the Washington game. Um, I think, you know, you could say that maybe they expanded or expanded a little too much energy um, in that Washington game. I thought that Washington played a really good game. You know, this was 
a game that I think coming into it, you know, you look at Washington's record that they've only won nine games and have only won once against a team with a winning record. It certainly didn't look like that uh, with the way that they played and brought some really good energy. Um, you know, hopefully this, or thankfully the Celtics were able to kind of figure it out at the end, but I think there's a, there were a lot of reasons to be a little concerned with that effort uh, Friday night. You know, I think that defensively the Celtics certainly let their guard down for a good amount of that game. It just seemed like there were multiple moments where they were just kind of not interested in playing defense, and I think that can be a little bit concerning, and I think especially... You know, you look at a game like this that I think probably should have been an easier game, but, you know, I thought that Joe Missoula made an interesting point um, after that Washington game that, you know, it said something about, you know, you can't come in and assume that you're just going to beat a team by 20 or 25, that, you know, it's almost arrogant to assume that. And I thought, I thought that that statement was kind of interesting because, you know, I think clearly when you look at a game and you look at a game specifically against a team with a bad record, you know, you can have an expectation that, okay, the game is the game should go a certain way. But I think, I think maybe his point was like, you shouldn't have an expectation that a game is going to go a certain way because you want to be able to experience all different types of games, all different types of situations. Um, and I think sometimes... Maybe we get caught up in terms of what we expect from this Celtics team that they should steamroll every team that's bad. But I think sometimes like you you can go through challenges in a game and you see how you can respond. And I think the Celtics were able to gut out a win, you know, kept feeding Porzingis. He was dominant in that game. And he was re- and Tatum was really good too. And I think it was a good game for the Celtics to experience that, okay, it's not going to be an easy game. And I think like kind of was similar to the Lakers game in terms of coming in against a team that you expected that you were going to beat. And, you know, you were able to make enough plays to win at the end. But I think especially when you look at, you know, where the schedule is right now, the Celtics are, you know, 53 games in, 29 games to go. And so, you know, I think that like this time of the season can kind of be the dog days where it's like really hard to get motivated to play some of these games. And I think, you know, Joe Missoula is trying to, I think, establish that, you know, you want to try to take things and learn things from every single game and you know, I just thought that those comments were interesting. And, you know, I thought the Celtics responded really well in Miami yesterday. You know, I think played a much more sound defensive game and a much more much more focused game. You know, I know that the Heat made it interesting at the end. But, you know, I thought for the most part in this game, you know, Tatum was really on it. Porzingis was really on it. And I think... Jalen Brown, despite the six turnovers and despite the game that maybe wasn't as good as what you would typically expect, he still made some big shots in the fourth quarter. And so I think the biggest thing for Jalen is just, 
you know, making the, the plays when it's when he's called upon. And I think the last couple of games, it's kind of been Porzingis and Tatum, and Brown has kind of, I don't want to say taken a back seat, but I think he recognizes that when those two guys have it going, you keep feeding them the ball and you keep making plays for them. And I think, you know, Tatum was really at his best last uh, yesterday with the nine assists, you know, almost a triple-double. But I think it was a good kind of gritty win. And anytime you can win down there in Miami, it's always a, it always is a, means a little bit extra. Um, and I think a couple of instances in that game yesterday, I think the Celtics were uh, kind of getting tired of the heat and their, uh, like, antics, whatever you want to call it, but um, I thought they responded well, made some plays at the end of the game, made their free throws at the end, which was huge. So really impressed, I think, with that win, and I think defensively got got back to playing some good defense, and I know the Heat were missing a couple of key guys. You know, Jimmy Butler missed the game, uh, Rosier and uh, who's the other Rozier, Rozier got hurt, obviously, during the game. There was someone else that got hurt during the game. Oh, man. I'm not remembering who it was. Okay, now it's killing me. But, you know, even despite those misses, the Celtics were still able to, you know, get up and get motivated. And I think that that was, you know, significant because I think... You know, much like the Lakers game a couple weeks ago, you can go into a game thinking, oh, this team doesn't have this player. You know, maybe you don't need to bring, you know, as good of an effort. Not saying that that's right, that that's the the right mindset, but I think like that sometimes can be an issue. Yeah, it was Josh Richardson. That's who also also, uh, left the game due to injury. Uh, But I think... You know, Celtics withstood a couple of heat runs in the fourth quarter. Tyler Hero hit a number of threes after kind of having a slow start. So I think all in all, a good win for the Celtics. And, you know, curious to see when we can see the new guys. The Celtics have uh, two more games before the All-Star break. They have a home-and-home series with the Brooklyn Nets tomorrow night in New York. And then... Wednesday night at Wednesday night at the Garden. So final two games before the All-Star break, the unofficial halfway point, although it's funny that, you know, the Celtics will have played 55 games and have 27 left. So, um, you know, I think good break for most of the team. You know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum will be going to the All-Star game. Jalen Brown will be participating uh, in the dunk contest next weekend. So I thought that was a pretty cool thing to see. I think, uh, you know, trying not to have crazy expectations for Jalen Brown to do the dunk contest, but uh, I do think it's significant that he's the first all-star, I think, since 2017 uh, that's doing the dunk contest. I think the dunk contest needs a little bit more juice. So pretty pretty cool that he's doing it. You know, I think my thoughts about Jalen as a dunker, obviously, is a great guy for putting guys on posters, but you know, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know if he's 
a guy that can be creative with his dunks. I think is more of a guy that, you know, can dunk on you at any time. You know, it's like someone said something. It's like, oh, maybe that 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 should, maybe there should be a defender when Jalen goes up to dunk because it's like, you know, I think dunks like that are kind of what he's good at. But who knows? Maybe he gets creative. Maybe he gets creative with, you know, a three sixty or through the legs or something like that. But uh, it'll be it'll be fun to watch. So that's. Saturday night, and then the game is Sunday, East East versus West, I think, again. So Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum will be on the same team. So that will be worth watching, you know, if you're interested in that um, All-Star game, which is Sunday night. So I think it's probably going to do it for the Celtics. I think we touched on everything I wanted to touch on, you know, the new guys, the recent play and uh, Jalen Brown doing the dunk contest. So, uh, yeah, I think that the buyout deadline, just if you're interested in that, I think that's in a couple weeks. And so meaning that teams have until a certain date to buy out the player. So maybe a couple more weeks before there maybe is a decision to be made for the Celtics. Um, Also, it's worth noting that the Celtics, I think, also have a chance that they could convert Kata's contract from a two-way deal to a standard deal so that maybe he takes over that last roster spot instead of a buyout player, but we'll obviously see. So yeah, two more games for the season, then it's an eight-day break for the All-Star game. So we're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Bruins, and they've had a little bit of a slide lately. Um, A couple of I think pretty poor performances, pretty poor efforts, I think coming out of the the all-star break, you know, which I think is a little bit concerning, but I also think it maybe could be a sign that the team's play maybe just is coming down because they just played such an outstanding first half and could just be coming down to earth. And I think, you know, it's funny because I kind of expected that this was going to happen all of last year, and it never did. You know, he kept saying, oh, you know, they can't win at this pace all year, and they did, you know. But I think that this year's team, obviously, not as talented. I think it's more likely that they're going to lose more games and, you know, go through more stretches of play that isn't so good. So I think, you know, me personally, that Calgary game, I think you could chalk that up to the team just being rusty out of the break, having not played for 10 days. Um, And I think not thinking too much of it, you know, it's not to say that you don't take that game seriously. You know, I think that the coaching staff in particular, Montgomery, wasn't pleased with the effort and the way that they played Tuesday night. But, you know, I think games like that can happen. You know, you can lose games like that after not playing. But I think the more concerning game for me was Saturday. You know, I think that they almost played worse. Saturday than they did Tuesday and I think that's the game that was a little bit more concerning that it was like they couldn't do anything offensively you know even in the third period when they got more shots on goal it just was very clear that they just did not have it that game and you know I'll be honest it's like a game like that is kind of what concerns me about this team that games where you're struggling to score you know, a game where Pasternak maybe 
doesn't have his game. You know, he only had a couple shots on goal in that game. You know, where is the offense going to come from if it's not going to come from, you know, Poster knocking your top guys? And I think that's kind of where you notice that, okay, this team is not quite as deep as they were last year, you know, obviously. But, you know, I think for the most part, like, Pasta has been pretty good and been pretty consistent night in and night out. And I think that that's why he should be a, you know, Hart Trophy candidate, you know, MVP award. So I think, you know, it was just interesting that the Bruins really thoroughly dominated Vancouver Thursday night. You know, the best team points-wise in the NHL. And the Bruins, like relatively speaking, made it look easy. You know, got a couple shorthanded goals on some great um, individual plays by Marshan Coyle on the first goal and then Heinen on the second one. Uh, but I thought the Bruins really were very good defensively in that game against Vancouver. Didn't really let them do much of anything. You know, Olmark had the shutout, but only had 17 saves. So I think, you know, it was a good effort there, but then just was a weird game against Washington. And I think that, you know, you would think that you look at that Tuesday game and you're like, okay, this is the worst game that they've played all year. There's no way that they have another game that's like this. And then, you know, here you go. You have a game like this Saturday. And I think it's a little bit concerning. You know, that's not a game that I think is indicative of who they are as a team. Um, But I think, you know, you hope that they can get back on track because I think you don't want this to kind of turn into a blueprint of kind of how to beat the team. And it kind of has looked like that the last two of the last three that Vancouver, or excuse me, Calgary and Washington have come in and, you know, played physical, have kind of mucked up the game in the neutral zone that you really can't get much going. And I think it kind of maybe does establish a blueprint for other teams to be like, hey, here's how you beat the Bruins. And, you know, I think Florida last year in the playoffs kind of exposed the Bruins that, okay, you play them physically and you are relentless on the forecheck and you shut down the neutral zone. And if you can do all three of those things, you're going to beat them. And, you know, I think that that can be worrisome. You know, I think that you look at their record. You know, I think I've talked about this all season that you look at the record and you think that the record makes them look like they are this unbeatable team. But I think really kind of underlying stuff they're not really as good defensively as they were last year. They're not as good at taking away, you know, the high danger chances. And I think because you have Swayman and Allmark, you know, I think arguably the best goalie tandem in the league, it kind of makes it look like, you know, oh, the defense and goaltending has been outstanding. Or the defense has been outstanding. And it's like, no, it's kind of the goalies that are standing on their heads and making great, you know, high danger saves. But I think the problem is, defensively the Bruins are giving up way too much and I think you know that could be a problem come playoff time that you know the goaltending kind of I don't want to say gets tired but it's like you're giving up a lot of high danger chances all the time you know sooner or later it's going to you know screw you and so I think the Bruins need to get back to 
you know, paying attention to the details in the defensive zone and, you know, keeping the turnovers down. I mean, it's like, I think at this point, like, the way that they play defense is kind of just the way that it is, and they're not just going to drastically improve overnight, but I think what they can do is just build those good habits and make sure that, you know, when the playoffs roll around that they're playing their best and, you know, that the forward lines can, I don't want to say pick up the slack, but I think not have games where you're getting shut out scoring one goal. I think that the scoring depth has been pretty good for this team this year, you know, which is kind of hard to believe when you look at the talent or lack of talent that they had. You know, you look at this team playing Taylor Hall in their third line last year, and, you know, now you got guys like Jacob Lauko playing third line, and, like, no disrespect to him, but he's not, you know, nowhere near the talent level of a Taylor Hall. So, you know, I think for the Bruins offensively, it's, you know, making sure that your secondary guys are getting chances and scoring those chances because, you know, Marshan and Pasternak are not going to be at the top of their game every single night. And so I think you're looking at guys like DeBrusque and, you know, Van Riemsdyk and Heinen to be consistent every night, which I think sometimes can be a little bit too much to ask for those guys. But, you know, I think it's just with the money situation you're in, you kind of are at a point where it's kind of hard to make a, you know, big time move to like really improve your roster. And I think, you know, the Bruins really have to figure out like if they are going to add at the trade deadline, how are they going to add? What are they going to do? So, you know, I think you hope that they can get back to the good defensive effort against a team like Tampa Bay. I think it's always a good game when the Bruins and Lightning play. But, you know, I think with this being a division opponent, a team that's been kind of a thorn in your side over the last couple of years, you know, you hope the team can kind of get back to that. Um, but I think it definitely was not good news to hear that uh, Matt Potra is going to be out for the year with shoulder surgery. That was really tough to see because uh, I thought that, you know, for the most part, it played a pretty solid season. I think, you know, it's it's hard to really say much negative about his game because he's 19, and I think the really wasn't an expectation that he was going to even play like NHL hockey this year. You know, played 33 games, 15 points, I think pretty respectable, but I think just a guy that I think gave you a little bit more creativity in terms of what you were trying to do offensively. And I think, you know, losing a guy like that really stinks because I think he had had his moments this year, and I think just gives you a different look in middle six or wherever he was playing. Um, but I think still you look at Marshan and Pasternak having great seasons. Coyle's having a good season, five points away from 50 points. You know, Frederick's been really good, a little bit quiet um, as of late. But I think, you know, this is a team that's really surprised a lot of people with their scoring depth. And I think... You know, you hope that that continues, but, you know, as I said, but right when we talked, started talking about the Bruins, you know, I think that there could be something to be said for this is a team that just played out of their minds for the first 49 games and 
the last 33, they might be coming back, back down to earth a little bit. And, you know, I say that because I think people might need to kind of temper their expectations and not expect that they're going to finish the, the season number one in the East, number one in the division even. Um, I do think that they're kind of due for a slide. You hope that it doesn't become a huge issue, but I think kind of looking at where they where they are, where they've been since coming back from the from the All-Star game that the effort's not quite been good enough and it's like obviously that's not good. You want to try to fix that, but I think you know, it could just be that this is just how the second half of the season goes and maybe there's a little bit of a slide. I mean, I don't expect that it's going to be a bad enough slide that they like miss the playoffs, but I think it could be possible that they slide to like second or third in their division, um, that something like that happens. And I think you hope that they can clean up two of the last three games because they do have four more home games on this stand. And then they have a, I think, pretty difficult four-game road trip uh, with games against Edmonton and Vancouver, a rematch there. So I think, you know, you got some challenging games that are coming up um, after the homestand. So Bruins... Home against Tampa Bay tomorrow night, and then Seattle on Thursday, and then LA Saturday afternoon, and then another Monday afternoon game against Dallas. So, very significant game on Tuesday, Brad Marchand's 1,000th game. If you can believe that, it's pretty been a pretty amazing run for him, the captain, and I think well-deserved captain this year. Uh, just going to be pretty neat to see him playing in that 1,000th game, I think. You know, when you think about his career, the way that he really burst onto the scene during that Stanley Cup championship, and it's just, he's just a guy that's been an institution with this team for so long. And I think it's, you know, great that we've seen so many of these recent guys, Krejci, Rask, Bergeron, you know, spend their entire career with the Bruins franchise and playing for so long and just being a, level of kind of consistency for so long. So uh, tremendous honor for Brad. I'm curious if maybe they honor him before this game uh, for game number 1000. Maybe it's a later celebration, but I think he uh, deserves it for all that he's done for uh, this franchise and this team and, you know, captaining this team that I think has gone through a lot of changes this year. And he's kind of just been that guiding light, if you will, for all the new guys that are on this team and, you know, some of the younger guys that have made their debuts and played a lot more games than I think people expected this year. So uh, that would be cool. So definitely it should be an exciting game against Tampa, but that's where we're at. We're at a couple weeks from the trade deadline. And I'll talk more about that as it gets closer. So I think I think that's probably going to do it for the Bruins. We're going to move on. There are some Patriot things that I wanted to get to. Uh, Patriots have hired a couple of former players to their coaching staff. I think there was a report today that Tyquan Thornton is being hired as their uh, wide receivers coach. He obviously overlapped with Gerard Mayo a couple of years in New England. You may remember him as a wide receiver for the Patriots that... Uh, Let's just say Tom Brady got angry at him on the sideline one game. So 
You may remember him from that particular game in Washington. Uh, but he will, I believe, be brought on as their wide receivers coach. I think that it's possible Troy Brown may be uh, exploring other opportunities. Not sure, though. Um, so that's obviously significant news there. And then the Patriots also bringing back a uh, former Super Bowl champion, uh, Dante Hightower, to uh, coach the linebackers. So I think that's a really... Um, really exciting news. Um, Hightower, obviously, a tremendous leader from his time here, won three championships, and, you know, he and Gerard Mayo overlapped for a couple of years, I think. Just a great decision, I think, for their coaching staff, and I think a guy that's familiar, you know, he only, I think 2021 was his last season, so he's only been away from the game for a couple of years, so, you know, he's already, I think, familiar with a lot of guys in that defense, so, you know, I think it's I think it's great. I think that keeping you know, as I talked about with Covington being hired as the defensive coordinator a couple of weeks ago, I think it's really important for them to keep the continuity defense defensively. You know, obviously Steve Belichick is not going to be with the team anymore. He's coaching the defense over the over at the University of Washington, but you know Brian Belichick is still going to be here. Mayo, obviously. Covington's been here, Hightower's back. You know, I think Mike Pellegrino, the cornerbacks coach, will be returning. So it's like trying to keep that group as consistent as you can because I think it's the strongest strongest group, I think, in terms of special teams and offense. I think just obviously was the better group last year. I think that it was the group that I think kept the Patriots in a lot of games and kind of gave them chances to win more games than they actually did. So I think it's a fantastic hire. I think it makes a lot of sense and I think is going to, you know, get the players excited and um, you know, get them motivated to play and get them motivated to you know, get excited for the new season. So um, I think that defensively it's always, it's already a, a good base of players. And I think, you know, it's kind of just up to uh, whatever the, the front office collection is to, you know, acquire, you know, I think they're just better offensive players and guys that are more explosive. And, you know, I think creating an offense that's not, you know, creating an offense that I think can move the ball a little bit better and move it more consistently. So um, I think there's not really other like serious news now that Alonzo Highsmith has been hired to a position in their front office. Um, I think had worked had worked in Green Bay at one point. Um, that kind of seems to be a little bit of a theme with some of the front office and coaching decisions that the Patriots have made, you know, overlapping or guys overlapping with Elliot Wolf when he worked with Green Bay, you know, and I think that <clears throat> news kind of being that Elliot Wolf is likely going to be the guy that's, you know, in charge in terms of, you know, player personnel. You know, I think Matt Groh will still be involved in the draft, but I think that Wolf is kind of their their guy, like their de facto quote unquote GM. I know that the Patriots haven't like officially named that person, but 
kind of would expect that Wolf is going to be the guy that's going to be mostly in charge. Um, there was also news yesterday that Patriots are, you know, expecting that Matt, Mac Jones is going to be a trade candidate, and I think can't come as much of a surprise. You know, I think just for me personally, I think it just it's not going to work for him here anymore. Um, I just think he's a guy that probably just needs a fresh, a, you know, a fresh start somewhere else. And, you know, I, there's, I think a lot of things that are, that have been said about him and his development. And I think that you can look at it kind of both ways that you can look at it like, okay, maybe the Patriots at certain points did not set him up to be most successful. I think you could make that argument, but I also think, you know, at a certain point, you know, he can't be blameless. You know, I think that there needs to be accountability from both the Patriots and from Kim. You know, I think that people maybe are getting a little bit too, I think, are, are thinking a little bit too much on one side that, oh, the Patriots, you know, Patriots and Belichick ruined him or whatever. I don't know if that's entirely true. You know, I think the, the the decision to install Patricia obviously didn't work, but I think, you know, the Patriots hired Bill O'Brien to help improve Max play, and he got worse, and it just is like, okay, like, I, I don't really know what 2022 has to do with how he performed this past year. You know, so I just... Sure, you can make an argument that, okay, maybe the, what they did to surround him wasn't the best, but I just feel like having that conversation means that we're, like, not assigning any blame to him that, oh, my God, it's just because of the coaching, this poor guy. And it's like, well, his performance also had a lot to do with why he got benched and why he didn't play toward the end of the year. Like, that's why Zappi played. You know, they didn't just take Mac from the starting quarterback job for no reason. Like it was performance-based, like that's what it was. So, you know, I think just at the end of the day, I think it's going to be best for him to get a fresh start somewhere else and not here. Um, But that's kind of just my own personal opinion. So, you know, obviously third, third pick in the draft, a lot of options. I think there's been a lot of rumors flying about what the Patriots may or may not do. But I think just for me, it's drafting a player that is going to be able to help your team right away. You know, a player that you can plug into their offense. And, you know, I'd like for them to draft from the offensive perspective, but I think, you know, offensive linemen be fine with that because they certainly need help there. You know, a quarterback, I think, makes a lot of sense. Wide receiver, I think, also makes a lot of sense. You can make arguments for all three of those spots, you know, or you can make an argument for trading back, you know, because I think personally, you know, the Patriots may not be in a position that they really need to contend next year, and it might be smarter to, okay, think more about the future. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think they're going to draft someone at number three, but I think it's important to keep all your options open. So I think 
we will uh, move on from the Patriots um, and talk a little bit about the Red Sox, who open uh, spring training on Wednesday. And, you know, I think from a free agent perspective, not uh, not much news, really. Um, I think that the group the Red Sox have are likely to, or is, is likely going to be the team that they go into spring training with. They did all, they did sign Michael Fulmer, uh, formerly of the Tigers and the Cubs, to a, I don't want to say future contract because that's not right, uh, but he is injured and will miss the entire 2024 season. Um, but I think the Red Sox are hoping that he'll return once he's healthy. Um, I think it was similar to what they did with James Paxton a couple of years ago, um, that they had signed him, didn't pitch the entire year, but then came back. Um, and I think at certain points last year, he actually was fairly decent. So I think the Red Sox are are banking on that from Fulmer. You know, I think that it's <laughs> free agent decision that's easy to poke, poke fun at, you know, and be like, okay, why are you signing a guy that's going to be hurt the whole year? But I think it's more just like, maybe giving this guy a chance to be a valuable addition down the road. And, like, he's been a pretty good pitcher, I think, for the majority of his career. So that's kind of more of a long-term thing. We'll see how that works out. Maybe uh, next spring training we're talking about it. But uh, the Red Sox, or, well, not the Red Sox, but uh, Corey Kluber, former Red Sox pitcher, last year announced his retirement. He was a two-time AL Cy Young Award winner and obviously pitched for the Red Sox last year. Didn't pitch very well and got uh, sent down to Worcester at, at one point. So, you know, I think it's, you know, just kind of was a tough year for him. Uh, there also was some news that Netflix will uh, create the documentary about the 2004 Red Sox season and uh, will also have a documentary documenting this season that will likely come out in 2025. So that's, I guess, interesting. I mean... It's not really a lot of exciting updates for on the field for the team, but, you know, yeah, spring training games will start uh, in a couple weeks. Pitchers and catchers report on Wednesday, and then the full squad will report uh, a couple of days later, so we'll keep you um, updated on that. But I think, you know, it'll be interesting to follow the, the progress of some of their prospects um, and then into the season, and then you know, kind of what the rotation looks like. What does the lineup look like? What are different things that they want to try to do? You know, do they make any moves in free agency? Because that's actually been known to happen over the last couple of years that guys make, or teams make additions to their roster during spring training. Do the Red Sox get another outfielder? I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if they made a trade or if they signed someone like, Adam Duvall, who played really well for them last year. Jorge Soler, you know, is that a possibility? You know, or I also think in some small world, maybe there's a chance that they uh, can sign a Blake Snell or a Jordan Montgomery to, you know, like a one or two year deal just to see um, if that happens. But I'd be surprised on that front, I think. If they make a move, it's likely going to be an outfielder that they sign um, or possibly make a trade for. So that's kind of it for our Red Sox update. We'll uh, have a full-on revolution update for you guys later this week. I guess Friday, really looking forward to that. 
Uh, one last little Boston sports note. The uh, Beanpot Constellation and Championship taking place tonight. Uh, Harvard and BC in the Constellation. And then BU and Northeastern in the Championship. Should be a pretty good game tonight. Uh, 7.30 start for the Championship. So now we're going to get to some other notes. Yes, there was a... Uh, Rather important, rather important football game uh, that took place last night. As you may have heard, <laughs> the uh, Chiefs getting the overtime win against the 49ers, a pretty exciting game, a really uh, tough loss for the 49ers. Um, you know, 25-22, the final Chiefs. Um, you know, got to give them credit. They think that they played a really good defensive game, and they think they were able to kind of ride their defense for most of the game until the offense got it going late. Um, but I think yet again, it's just San Francisco and, you know, Kyle Shanahan just being una unable to, you know, close out another game. Um, I think it wasn't the same game as it was four years ago. Um, but I think <clears throat> San Francisco, I think at multiple points, seeming like they were in control and then just kind of lost it. Um, but yeah, Kansas City wins, and yeah, they're they're a dynasty. Uh, I think it's uh, pretty remarkable what they've been able to do over the last couple of years. And you know, I think as much as the league has, you know, every year it seems like there's teams that are much better than the year before. It's still kind of the same team, and I think kind of the same team that wins it at the end. And I think it just kind of shows you that okay, like. And I'm not trying to be mean when I say this, but it seems like the Chiefs are one of the only teams that actually know how to win in these types of games where there's high pressure and other teams make mistakes, other teams let the moment get the best of them, and the Chiefs are able to make those plays and be calm and composed in these big-time moments. And it's, you know, it's hard not to watch them and think of, hey, this is how the Patriots were able to win for so long. They were able to be smart and be composed in the biggest and most stressful of moments. Um, and I think it's just, you've watched the last two games the Chiefs have played and the way that the Ravens played and the way that they couldn't handle the stress of that moment with all the unnecessary penalties, you know, all the trash talking and, and, and stuff like that that, it, 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 you know, it went to their head and they couldn't finish and they kept making mistakes. And, you know, it's not quite like the 49ers did the same thing last night, but, you know, not being able to close the game out when they should have been able to, you know, I think the, for me, the biggest moment of that game last night, you know, it's 10 to three, Kansas City gets the ball to start the second half and you're expecting, okay, here we go. They're going to go right down the field, score a touchdown, tie the game. Patrick Mahomes throws an ill-timed interception where he just sails it over the head of Travis Kelsey. 49ers get the interception. They have the ball basically at midfield, and they go three and out, and they can't take control of the game. And I think that, for me, was like that was the biggest moment of the game. That was the biggest moment of the game. 49ers couldn't take advantage, and I think they lost the game because of that. Because if the 49ers, you know, go down and score a touchdown off that, I think the game goes very differently. Um, so I just think it's, 
Kansas City, I think, being that team that just knows how to win, and there are very few teams, I think, in the NFL right now that really know how to win and really know how to win in those types of situations. So um, it's another championship back-to-back for the Chiefs. First team in 20 years to do it. Mahomes wins MVP again and has won three MVP awards. Um, And ironically, you know, it's always funny after the Super Bowl being played that I feel like it's almost always not the team that has won that opens up the next season as favorites to win the following year. So like the Niners are the favorites to win the Super Bowl next year. And it's always funny because I always feel like it's never the team that won. Like they are never, it's like the way that like betting works. It's like, no, the same team can't win again. So uh, yeah, just as I kind of just have a, have a laugh over that. Cause that's always funny. Um, the Eagles are giving Hassan Reddick permission uh, to seek a trade. And uh, unfortunately, Drake Greenlaw uh, tore his Achilles last night, running onto the field, I think, in the third quarter. So that was a big loss for the 49ers, and I think really felt that um, in the second half. So I think, yeah, I'll take a look at some NBA notes. A couple of games tonight. But first, we'll take a look at some notes. Uh, Obviously, a lot of trades went down on trade deadline day on Thursday. Gordon Hayward going to Oklahoma City. Um, Grant Williams going from Dallas to uh, Charlotte. And P.J. Washington going to Dallas um, in that same trade. Patrick Beverly, obviously, as I mentioned, went to the Bucs. Buddy Heald going to the 76ers. And Royce O'Neal, I think, went to Phoenix. That was kind of a significant move and not really anything major that happened. Uh, The Knicks also got uh, Bogdanovich and Bogdanovich from the Pistons sent uh, Alec Burks. I think I liked what they did, making an addition to their bench. And the Knicks are playing good basketball, so I really liked what they did. But no real major moves that were made. Um... So I think, yeah, we'll take a look at the games tonight. Quite a few 7 p.m. starts. Indiana and Charlotte, Philadelphia and Cleveland, 7.30, Chicago, Atlanta, San Antonio, Toronto, and then 8 o'clock, New York, Houston, New Orleans, and Memphis. On NBA TV, 8 o'clock start, Denver and Milwaukee. And then at 8.30, Washington and Dallas. 9 o'clock, Golden State, Utah. And then at 9.30, Minnesota and the Clippers. So we'll take a quick look at the standings as we approach the All-Star game. I think teams play in their last couple of games before the All-Star break. And the great news for the Celtics is they have a five-game lead in the Eastern Conference ahead of second-place Cleveland, who has won nine straight games. So they're playing some really good basketball right now. Uh, so they are the second-place team in the East, followed by the Bucks. And the Knicks, the Sixers, and the Pacers. And then in the play-in spots, 7-10, to 10, you have Orlando, Miami, Chicago, and Atlanta with Brooklyn two and a half back of that final play-in spot. Out west, Minnesota still leading the conference, but by only a half game 
over three different teams. This is crazy. Clippers, Thunder, and Nuggets all half game behind first place. Um, then the Suns are fifth. Pelicans are sixth. And then in the play-in spots, you have the Kings, the Mavericks, the Lakers, and the Warriors with Utah just a half game behind Golden State for that final spot. So we will take a look at some NHL uh, notes. Matt Grizzlick was fined for his, uh, I guess, uh, the spearing penalty that he took on Saturday's game. Thankfully, avoided suspension. I was kind of surprised he avoided it. To be quite honest, it looked pretty, pretty nasty. But did did get fined the uh, maximum amount. Um, and let's see, Marc-Andre Fleury won his 553rd game, I think his first place in terms of total wins by a goaltender, um, and then beat his former team, so that was kind of interesting. Um, Alex Sovechkin with his empty net goal on Saturday against the Bruins uh, set an NHL record for empty net goals. And so let's see, we'll take a look at some games that are taking place tonight. I think there are four. I think there are four of them. Bruins play, obviously, tomorrow night in Brad Marchand's 1,000th game. Um, so, yeah, games tonight. Okay, let me find the games quickly. So, we'll take a look at games and then go to the, uh, go to the standings. So here we got four games tonight, 7 o'clock start in New Jersey, Kraken against the Devils, and then Calgary against the Rangers, also at 7, and then also at 7, um, Arizona against Philadelphia, and then at 10 o'clock in Vegas, the Wild visit the Golden Knights. So, finally, take a look at some uh, MLB notes as teams start reporting to uh, spring training this week. The Pirates reaching a deal with Yasmani Grandal. Um, he will join Pittsburgh for the season. And yeah, training camp or yeah, spring training opens up around baseball this week. Pitchers and catchers reporting for the Red Sox on Wednesday. The Reds and Jonathan India coming to terms on a two-year deal. And yeah, as you mentioned, Corey Kluber retiring. Um, Two-time AL Cy Young Award winner. So I think that's probably going to do it for me this week. I can look forward to Guest Friday later this week with our resident soccer guy. <laughs> so you can be on the lookout for that on Friday. Uh, but yeah, we will talk to you then. And everyone have a great week.